0: Hello, boys, and welcome to episode thirty-three of the Chiluminati Podcast, Ted Bundy Part Two. As always, I am Mike Martin, your host, joined by my—you ah, know—I can't. I'm so bad at improv. I can't do the same thing every time. Can't be what like you he's he's found on every
1: LA street corner. It's Alex Jesse. He's
0: hilarious. <laughs> I thought They're you beautiful. were just going to say well, like
1: my co-host and fellow human my, being.
0: No, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pump you guys up. Oh, okay. You know, well, the uh, what about?
1: Uh, Say, Ba-Bang! Alex is here! Ba-Bang! Alex is here! And what do you know? There's Jesse! Ba-Bang! Cool. Ba-Bang. That's our new thing, right? (laughs) Nope, that is. (laughs) Well, it's my last episode! (laughs) All three of us. All three of us. Well, speaking of of,
0: it is not your last episode, as people predicted during the Krampus is an Alien episode. Thank you to... The many people every day that I get tweeting and leaving messages that hey I'm listening it's October 2019 Jesse isn't psychically floating above an architecture site Alex isn't a ghost haunting the podcast and Mathis is still reading books and researching. You don't know this. Who says? None of you
1: know who, this. Who says that we're only we're not just 25 percent of the way through the ARG? That's true. You don't know. You don't know how far how far, maybe I'm I've been dead this whole time. Maybe my my podcast audio is coming from the past. Maybe I've been dead. Little, you know? little do they
0: know we're not on a, like a Zoom call. S- uh, Jesse is psychically projecting his voice directly into. I've myself. been
1: doing that for several episodes now, 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 now. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Professor X. We like he like we like <laughs> rally <laughs> to him in the psychic plane. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm in Cerebro right now.
0: <laughs> you all listeners should rally to us on October 30th. Yo, by plane that is, out in Boston, Somerville, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. All ages welcome. We're gonna be doing a Halloween special out in the once ballroom, out in Somerville, Massachusetts. I am so excited. We're doing Come join very... us.
1: We would love to have you. We're gonna drink have a beer there. next to us. Look yes. at us.
0: Give Listen me to our look at voices. us. Give
1: me a hug, and then let me hug you back. And then we hug, staring at Alex, and we make it uncomfortable yeah. for him. And then you walk. I'll look away. at you as long as you want. I'll be in the background of the picture, creepily watching. Nope. Now it's weird. Now you may no, I'll be what? in a now, photograph on the wall from weird. 1941. Now it's weird. Yeah. Now it's weird. Yeah. And then All on right. the wall, well, you'll see that Alex has been there the entire time.
0: <laughs> He's like Keanu Reeves. He just looks kind of slightly older Yeah. I'm like, years. you're
1: breathtaking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a pre-ordering side.
1: Why is your right. Keanu Reeves like, <laughs> oh, jeez, I'm He's okay. like the real. No, dude. That's like what happened. He like. Just stayed in the dude voice, and now that's his voice. He's like,
0: <laughs> he <never> "Hey, hey!"
1: <laughs> that's it. That's John Wick.
0: <laughs> that's John Wick. That, and he's murdering you hyper violently.
1: It's like, "Hello, John," and he's like, Ugh. "Are we ready to I see Keanu so, John. as excellent the one Rufus, again?" It's me, John Wick. Yeah, John Wick. <laughs> oh no, please. Ted. To, anyway, to we're gonna have Bill. exclusive. Wait, Bill, damn it! Anyway, yeah. October thirtieth in Somerville, outside of Boston, John Wick will be there. Come see Chilluminati. The real John Wick is going to be there. <laughs> the guaranteed. real John Wick, Alex Fossiani will be there. Yeah, me, me, the real, the guy they base John Wick off of. I'm gonna be there. <laughs> so come on down. Bring your ticket. Buy it now at ChaluminatiPod.com. That's ChilluminatiPod.com where you can also time. buy – that's Chalumanatipod.com, where you can also buy some type of clothing uh, that also supports us, probably. <laughs> well, right on the Yeti. That's on the Yeti. <laughs> on the, on the Yeti. Uh, but
0: at, at the show, we're going to have an What if it was there,
1: too? What if that guys? happened? That's true. What if there was a the link there? What, uh, if, there was, I, what I can, if there was merch? I can literally if, add
0: that in between
1: – yeah, they won't even know. Go there, chlumani.pod.com, there'll be a link you can go buy our merch. <laughs> just say just put a hyperlink at the top that says we, we Alex forced this to be here. I, and that's John where you guys Wick can recommend. Yeah, John Wick recommends the Yeti. And if you <laughs> and then if you and then if you, cl- and then if you click on that, you know, you probably heard this. And then And if you didn't and, and you ended up at that website, I don't know how you co- got there. Come have a beer with us in Boston, guys. That's the main point of Please. this. It's on October 30th. Please come out. It's going to be great. I'm so excited! It'd be the best Halloween I've ever had. That's for certain.
0: <laughs> now, let's get into the real horror. No,
1: I I'm just had like I just that's had like best. a like a montage in my imagination of you getting like egged and like TP'd and like terrorized. I've got tears coming down my eyes and I'm just choking out the
0: words. Best Halloween.
1: Yeah. Did you ever like? Did you eat like a razor blade apple or something? Just oh man, I just thought like I want to bring candy now you the Halloween? I want to hand people out candy. I don't, you know what? I'll dress up, too. I'll dress up as, like, a guy in his 30s who doesn't know what he wants to do for the rest of his Man, life. Man, that sounds like a stretch. I'm going to bring yeah. candy, and I'm going to dress up as International Love Machine Jesse Cox. <laughs> International Love Machine Jesse Cox? Yeah. It's just you with the ribbon around your neck like an ascot? Yeah, beep boop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring uh, Harold, as I always.
1: Oh, my God. You can meet him in real life. Get an yeah. autograph from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was at CoxCon. People took pictures. Pay, pay 20 bucks, and we take you out back. We take the tape off, and he screams at you.
0: <laughs> he yells at you to get on your knees and worship him. Otherwise, yeah. he'll cut the brakes to your car, apparently. All right. Well, enough happy stuff, boys. Yeah. It's Jeez. time to get into the, to the miserable stuff. Uh, Ted Bundy Part 2. Before we get into uh full-on Ted Bundy thing, a quick, very small correction at the top of the episode, something that I was slightly off of in the last one. We talked about John Wayne Gacy a little bit. This was kind of just off the top of my head in the last time, and I, I incorrectly said he was a Republican. He was actually a Democrat. He met with the Democratic uh, leadership at the time. Um, he was still a politician, so I was, like, mostly.
1: Yeah, the point the was that, like, but, yeah. there's, like, a mind – you have a mind for politics. I got a ton and, of people and who, so like, uh, excuse me, he was a Democrat, so – did right. we get roasted? Did it we get politically matter. roasted? Uh, we kind of oh, got a little politically no. roasted. Well, look, deal with it. Our mistake. <laughs> I still <laughs> we're not trying to imply my snide, anything. My my snide comment still stands. That's it's very true. Yes, it, it still holds up uh well. The yeah.
0: second correction actually has to do with when we talked about Ted Bundy's potential first murder as a teenager with the 8-year-old girl who went missing. Um, but we're gonna talk about that as we talk as we go through the episode, so hang tight on details. Does someone know this? Does
1: someone know who killed that little no, girl? No, I
0: just I just did extra research between episodes because I wanted to make sure that I was giving the right info and I gave mostly right info, but there were just some important things that I wanted to cover. Now and I'm
1: imagining way. you getting a call from like the like mysterious killer who's like, You missed a couple things. Oh, and you're no. like low-key. <laughs> You're like low key going through some like horrifying like Da Vinci Code ass like quest <laughs> to behind the out scenes, the, root,
0: the truth behind it to all make these to make me.
1: these episode outlines on Google Drive. <laughs>
0: mm. Well, if you remember last time where we left off, Ted Bundy, we learned of his lie riddled, murky history of his childhood upbringing. And on on one hand, we were told to believe that his grandfather was possibly angry, violent, misogynistic, racist, and on the other hand. Maybe all that's a giant lie. We, we really don't know which one's uh, true. Where, where I kind of sit is the version of the story where he seems to have at the very least had some sort of normal childhood. Um, but while we'll never know the full truth, I think it's safe to say that it's probably closer to the former rather than the latter, as we did learn about his adopted father uh, and uh, Theodore or, or Ted's bu- tendency to be a loner and angry. If remember from episode one those things we are confirmed yeah those, yeah those things, things we are know. all confirmed we know for a fact that that is true so I, I definitely lean a little bit more towards a normal childhood beyond that it's also important to note that there's still quite a lot of victims that are unconfirmed but heavily suspected to be bundy's victims and everything we know about how and why he killed who he killed where he buried them keep in mind this all pretty much just comes straight from his mouth it's it's an untrustworthy first source. But when we take what he said, paired with the evidence that was found at hand where some of the bodies were uh, and, yeah, and it doesn't feel totally scenes, crazy. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of it gives it breathes an air of truth into his own admissions, which is why at the very least, when he talks about some of his murders, we you know, you listen with it with a tendency to at least believe parts of it. But before we pick up directly where we last left off, a reminder that this episode could could be particularly rough to listen to for some people as we're going to be talking about his early beginnings as a killer. Um, So certain topics might be a little bit rough. So just, you know, prepare yourselves. What did you expect listening
1: to the Ted Bundy episode? Of
0: course, of course. But I just want to throw that out there. So let's rewind time just a bit back to October 31st, 1961, the day Anne-Marie Burr, an innocent eight-year-old girl, went missing never to be found again.
1: This is the girl we were talking about last time? Yep, this is the girl we talked
0: about in the first episode. This was the girl we briefly mentioned in episode one, the one that could potentially be Ted Bundy's very first kill. He would have been around 14 years old at this time. God, that's so fucked up. On that night, at 5.30 in the morning, the Burr family would realize that Anne-Marie Burr was missing from her room. The living room door had been slightly left open, as was the window in the living room. The young girl would never be found, but some evidence and forensic testing led many to believe it was Ted Bundy who took her. Now, the first episode it said there wasn't that much evidence, and that still remains true. But the things that were left are kind of important.
1: It's more that there wasn't time, enough evidence to like nothing to pin convict. On him. Yeah. yeah.
0: Especially, you know, at that time when he's only 14, but... people weren't really thinking.
1: Hmm. All right. Well, do... Let's go over the evidence. Yeah, we'll I was about to see say, see do we you know what that ahead. evidence was? Yes, we do. Okay. Yes, we do.
0: So at this point in time, Bundy lived relatively close. So much so that his paper route at this time included the neighborhood Anne lived in, and in turn, Anne's home. This house was also feet away from one of his own his childhood homes. So it's not at all impossible to think he'd, he'd known or had interacted with Anne at some point over her eight years of life. There's also the evidence of an unknown shoe print outside the open window that measured to size six which would fit the size of a typical teenage boy. The parents would then go on to speak to Bundy in 1989 before his execution. Afterward, they would publicly state that, quote, based on circumstantial evidence, unquote, they believe their daughter was taken and killed by Bundy, and her remains were buried somewhere on uh, the University of, and I apologize, I called, I said Pudget last time. You I did
1: heavily... It's Puget. I yeah, didn't want to correct of... you because I was like, I correct everyone too much. I'll let, no, let the yeah, internet have what, that well, one. Well, If you're not going to, the comments are going Yeah, through, you know so. what? It's like a game. You got to let the audience correct you every now and again. <laughs> right. You got to drive engagement by making slight typos and pronunciation mistakes. Just yeah, to make that's... sure everybody's paying attention. So good on you. You know that's what? Inside baseball typos. Right yeah. Vera Moneyball, the movie. Right. Typos yeah, exactly. are very Republican, is what I hear. So. That's such a that, Republican it's also very Yeah, it's such a Republican Leave, a, leave, leave a message to the move. comments. Oh, excuse me. There is a Democrat who made a typo. <laughs> yes, keep that engagement high. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, uh, <laughs> So, after the
0: conversation, the parents believe that he did it and her remains were buried somewhere on the University of Puget Sound. It's completely possible that this is all a giant lie that just – kind of seems to fit nicely with Bundy's timeline and his upbringing, because, again, this admission that the parents got came right from his mouth. However, the, foot's the the footprint obviously fits a younger person. Though I'm left wondering, since we know nothing that comes out of his mouth can be trustworthy if he's telling the full truth. Episode 1 was an entire example of lies muddying the truth, uh, because he needs to be the center of all things at all times. And in 2011, forensic testing of material evidence from the crime scene at the Burr's house, and I quote, yielded insufficient intact DNA que- sequences for comparison with Bundy's, unquote. And that's the extent of all evidence we have at this particular time. So they were literally neighbors. They were, they were neighbors literally at some point. He was – he because the house that belonged to – that was his childhood home, it was his uncle's home. And uh-huh. he would go and visit and spend time there as a kid over, over the course of his upbringing. And he
1: also dead-ass said he did this once, right? He said it to
0: the parents behind closed doors. Whether that why you know, why whether, did they you all have a not, time to ch- talk?
1: Why did they have a chance to talk to each other? Uh, a lot of people got interviewed. Well, he was on he was on death end, row, so. and I imagine was this was right row. before his execution. And people were like, yep. "We need to have closure." And the family was like, "I just want to talk to him so I know." Oh, so they were like, "Did you kill my daughter?" And he was like, "Yeah." Whatever, whatever he said, <sighs> they walked out believing he did it
0: and believing her remains were on the University of Puget Sound. Here's the thing: I feel like.
1: If you're a narcissistic asshole, isn't it kind of, like, wouldn't you if someone came to you and you're like, i am be dead anyway? Like, yeah, yeah, I killed her. Yeah, exactly. So how do you trust anything mind. this dude, he's a social, like, how you do you can't. trust anything he says? I don't know. I feel like he would be yeah. like, yeah, sure, I did.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, okay. I would love to, to know do? more I'm about that. I'm dead next week, you know?
1: like. I would he, love to he, know more about that Puget Sound situation.
0: Well, the other thing with serial killers, too, especially those who are convicted and get put on death row towards the end, they just start admitting to even things that they never did. Well, yeah, it's a celebrity point, trying thing. to build their legacy. Absolutely. Yeah, trying to build their legacy. So it that's why I'm still left wondering. May like he might not have and he could have just, you know, it just lined up coincidentally with him. But who who fucking knows? But that's that's the extent of what we know about that particular disappearance. Um, Because we're going to talk about what we know are his first two confirmed kills this episode, which is kind of the the birth of the monster in such a a way. So when we last left Bundy, he had recently enrolled in uh, UPS Law School in 1973, broke up with his girlfriend uh, Stephanie Brooks as some sort of psychopathic power move. And by April, Bundy had begun to skip his classes right around the time women in the Pacific Northwest started to disappear. Now, like everything else involving Bundy's past, we don't have a specific date or which murder was his actual first in this soon to be uh, four years long attack on innocent people. As we just said, it could have been when he was a teenager. But the first confirmed attempts we do know start in 1974,
1: Mm.
0: particularly on the night of January 4th, 1974, right around midnight. Right then, Bundy would enter the home of a young dancer and student of University of Washington. Her name was Karen Sparks. On this Friday night, long asleep after a long day of school and dancing, Bundy would be making his first attempt on his first victim as an adult that we know of. Karen's room also had access to the basement of the house that she slept in. Uh, While she slept, what she didn't know was that at some point during the night, Bundy had snuck into her basement through window and quietly sat in the basement by himself for hours on end. Her housemates at the time slept through the entire night and hadn't heard anything suspicious whatsoever. Unfortunately for Karen, eventually Bundy either got up the nerve or made a random decision to slowly creep up the stairs, quietly open the door to Karen's room from the basement, remove a metal rod from her bed frame and beat her within an inch of her life with it before slipping out of the house without anyone ever knowing he was there.
1: How do you beat someone to death with their own bed frame and no one here? Right. So one of the things, like, eventually,
0: what we learned is 10 Bundy's method was the first hit always with a a lead pipe or metal pipe or a wrench was to the head always knocking them out instantly. She had no idea he was there. She was sleeping. Maybe the bed frame was like loose and maybe he popped it or, or he did it in such a fast manner that if she was waking up, it would have been, she would have been groggy and not entirely sure what's going on before he uh, hit her in the
1: face. So she, there was just no sound to be heard. N- nobody woke up. None of the housemates That's woke up. That's so whatsoever. crazy methodical that you, I mean, there's something, it's, that, it's definitely that serial killer thing of just like, I know the perfect way. And yeah. it, it reminds me when we go back to um Joey Peanuts or whatever the hell his name was. <laughs> Tommy Patera. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh Jay, Joey Peanuts. Voice <laughs> like fucking Goofy from the <laughs> Disney cartoons. Joey Peanuts Goofy. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy Patera and Mickey. But to, who's Donald? Tommy Tommy uh that's uh Tommy Walnuts is, is Donald. <laughs> Frank? Frank Walnuts. To, so Frank Ganges the Donald Duck. Uh, Yeah, big tuna (laughs) tuna Giuseppe. Uh, So, the, but but going back to that, like, he knew every single point on the human body that was like, this is how I kill him really quick, this is how I hack him up. Like, it's almost like you're a butcher, and you're just dealing with meat, and like, all right, here's where you cleave this, and this is where you do this. And and I imagine people who, uh, you know, this is a fact of life, kill animals in order to uh, send them off to be butchered. They know exactly, like, this is the most painless way. They know exactly how to do it. It feels very much like that where he's just like, okay, whacked the back of the head and just goes to town. Yeah, like, that's crazy. I even think in one of his interviews
0: when he was on Death Row, he said, you know, the first few murders are methodically planned to, to the to the second, whereas on your 20th, you forgot the crowbar. And like, you you know, you have to improvise because you just get so used to it. The difference between, I think, someone like Patera and like Bundy is that Bundy was an emotional rage killer. Everything he did was be for his own sexual satisfaction, his own desires sure. and his needs. Where Tommy Patera, he lasted so long because he, in his mind, served something greater. The mafia, the the lifestyle, all of this killing was a he was like doing a job. Success. Yeah. Now, he was still a serial killer and he was still effed up, but he had that rationalization of like. This is my job. This is what I'm good at. This is my calling. I will not fuck this up. Where Ted Bundy, four years later, was just completely frayed and just didn't care anymore. And it was just kind of doing it because it's the only thing that gave him any sense of potential feeling or emotion. Oof. Just It's just interesting. Um, so the next morning, Karen's roommates had no idea anything was wrong. When she didn't come out for breakfast or lunch, they then decided to check in on her room, only to find her beaten, bloody, unconscious body laying there a pool of blood surrounding her in an absolute mess. But most importantly, she was still alive. Jesus. She would Christ. be right to the hospital after 911 was called and Karen luckily would actually survive. Was this, now, this the this day, only person who survived? Uh, I think one, uh, no, uh, an an, adup- an, an abduction attempt happened in 76 that he failed. And I think he failed another abduction attempt in, uh, 75. Well, wow. I'd have to double check. Um, but uh, yeah, while Karen was lucky that she survived, to this day, she still suffer, suffers permanent brain damage and will for the rest of her life. I actually listened to an interview uh, with her a couple of days ago from 2018. Um, and really, the, the, the long-lasting effects is like difficulty reading, comprehension, retaining information long term. Um, but she can still speak and is, uh, you know, it's not like she's, she has somebody type out for her. She still speaks and is very with it. It's just slower difficulty with comprehension and stuff like that. Um, she's just she's lucky she's alive. Now in my mind, there is no question Bundy fully intended to kill Karen that night. Um, as his next attack would actually be no more than a month after this. And normally with serial killers, uh, there's usually a wind up time to the first kill, and then there's a long period of time between that first kill and the second kill. The first kill is usually meticulously planned, and there's a sense of uh, there's no real sense of rush until the moment of for the serial killer. Afterward, there's like this sense of relief, and uh, their next victim isn't for months, sometimes for some, even years, until eventually that need becomes sated again, but needs it more and more and more, and it kind of acts like an addiction for serial killers where it starts to ramp up and they need to start doing it every three months, every two months, every month, every two weeks, and then usually that's when you see them start to get caught because they start getting lazy, they start killing in areas closer to their homes. But Bundy is different, and I think the reason it's so fascinating is because he dove head first. There was no looking back. There was no slow wind-up. There was no slow attempts. It was first attempt, second attempt, and then for the next four
1: years, 30 confirmed, but likely much more. Which, to me, doesn't make him an outlier. If anything, it means that we don't have all the information (laughs) because it sounds like he probably was killing before this. Yeah, Yeah. and that was his wind-up, and this is his acceleration, rather than it be like, mm-hmm. oh, he's so different, and he just kills yeah. without caring, and he did it really no, quickly. I, There's probably stuff, just information people don't know. That's so I, weird. I, I, I fully agree. I, I fully think the, the muddied history and, and everything
0: adds to, it lets you, like most conspiracy theorists, right? You leave enough blanks, and you can plug in the holes yourself. Mm-hmm. And he, all, he, if Muddy did one thing in his life, uh, you know, with with any sort of of success, it's muddying his past. He, he did an excellent job at making sure nobody really knows the history of him up to this point, basically. Uh, it's from here on that we have a much more substantial understanding of his actions and his murders. But Karen survived, and that's, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's horrifying what happened and, and to think that he sat in her basement for hours, but thank God she lived, and she can still tell her story to this day. His next victim would come four, three weeks and six days later, on February 1st of that year. And like before, she also was a student of the University of Washington. And for work, she was a radio broadcaster. She also lived with five other girls, as most who on the campus ended up doing. And much like his first victim, he would head to the basement of the house first. It's likely that Ted Bundy ended up casing this place for days on end before he made his attempt. And we'll talk about why in a minute. The difference was the victim's room was also a basement room and her name was Linda Healy. She was two quarters away from graduation and leaving the college for good. On the night of February 1st, after a day uh, at work and a nice night out at the local bar with some friends, she would be seen for the very last time by her housemates opening the door to her basement room dressed in blue jeans, a white blouse, and boots. The following morning, Linda's typical 5.30 a.m. alarm clock would go off so she could head off to work that day. But by 6 a.m., that alarm was still going off, so her roommates would head downstairs to wake her up, only to see that she wasn't anywhere to be seen. Fuck. Assuming she had left a little early for work that morning, they thought nothing of it until the phone rang. When her roommate answered it, it was Linda's job asking for her. And that's when it sank in that something was a little off. But her roommates decided to have a more detailed look around to see if anything else was off or maybe Linda was elsewhere in the house. When they took notes, uh, that's when they took note of two things. Linda would usually go to work on her green bike every single day. And in the basement, there her green bike sat untouched where it always was, unmoved. But the most important thing that was noticed was the basement side door that led directly into her room. See, while Linda never used that door, as it was almost impossible for it to lock correctly on the outside, someone had unlocked it and left it unlocked when they left the room. Still, though, it wasn't quite enough to have them call the cops. Maybe she left out the side door in a hurry or something went wrong. So they all went about their day and attended their classes, which, of course, none of them Linda ended up showing up for. And later that day, Linda's parents showed up for dinner. They were supposed to have met Linda tonight and have dinner with their daughter, but she'd not been seen all day and still hadn't returned home.
1: Hmm.
0: That's when they all decided to call the police. Shortly thereafter, the police arrived. They were led downstairs to the basement room by Barbara, which was her roommate, a roommate of Linda's who shared the basement, but had a separate room separated by a ply wall. After being led into Linda's room, the detective began to look around, and one of the first things he did was pull back the blankets on her bed. And there, just under the blankets, barely hidden away from sight, was dried, caked blood covering her bed and her sheets. And her nightgown she had worn to bed that night, also covered in blood. However, Jesus, her backpack and outfit she wore the night before were all missing. There are a few theories as to what ended up happening that night. Theories run from, uh, run from Bundy using the nightgown as a quick attempt to clean up. As she came downstairs, he struck her, cleaned up the blood as it bled everywhere, and then left with her as she was. Or he waited for her to fall asleep, beat her while she slept, changed her clothes before he took her away, and then disappeared out the side door afterward. Likely, as, as would become the norm for him, he would have hit her as hard as he could in the head, knocking her out and causing no noise otherwise, changed her clothes, and then taking her outside the side door. As for how or where he came into the house from... Well, there's two possible answers to that. First was obviously the side basement door. well, almost certainly used as a quick escape, if it was locked properly, there's no way he would have come through there without breaking the lock to get in. However, the girls that lived in the house had a spare key hidden away in the mailbox. And if Bundy was casing the place and stalking it for any period of time, it would have been insanely easy to see they had a key in the mailbox that one of the roommates may have taken at one point and put it back. Three days later, on February 4th, 1974, a man dialed 911. This would be the transcript from that call. Listen and listen carefully. The person who attacked that girl on the 8th of last month and the person who took Linda Healy are one in the same. He was outside both houses and he was seen. The 911 operator replies, who's calling? And the response was, no way, you are not getting my name. And then the phone was hung up. Yikes! With his, with his first unsuccessful attempt, shortly followed up by his first successful murder, Bundy, the shithead monster that he would be for four years, would become truly active. From that point on, at very least, one murder a month would be put under his belt. On average, maybe more.
1: One murder a month for four years on
0: average. Shit! And that's and that's without the police uh, believing that he he his number may be double that. But we'll never know. Double, yes. He was insanely active and non-stop. it
1: may be double.
0: It may be double that they believe that his number is somewhere in the sixties. But the only ones that they have uh, are are th- they pinned thirty on him, confirmed and unconfirmed. Fuck, that is awful. Confessions, and from there Ted would go on to be the Bundy that would that we would know and uh, hear about for literal decades, and are, are still picking apart to this very day. Bundy the Monster was indeed born, and
1: Damn. it's interesting
0: to, to 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 think that if if he did start as a teenager, my mind wanders and wonders how active he was during his teenage years. How if old is Amber, he now?
1: How old is he at this point?
0: Uh, in seventy four. Who? That's a good question. Off the top of my head, I'm not off the sh- off. Uh, I don't know. I can check. Um, let's see. Yeah, he confessed to thirty. Uh, and seventy February first seventy four to February 9th, seventy-eight would be his span of crimes. So they d- apparently do not count uh, his first attempt um, that didn't kill, but the first murder uh, was, was. But how famous. old was he? Uh, age. He was born in forty. So he was forty two when he died. So in seventy, he died in eighty nine. He was forty two. Uh, how old would he be in seventy four? 89, 79, So he's 28? So he's 28, yeah. So there was like a 15-year gap where we don't know how many people he killed? Correct. We don't know if he was active or if he was not active. Uh, Again, if his teenage years are truly where he started, I mean, that's a decade. If 14 was his first, if this 8-year-old this girl was his first, that's 10 years of potential wind-up time. And if he you know, fits the profile of many other serial killers, it's very likely he was killing animals. For a long time as well, that's almost always part of of, a, of a, the kind of evolution of a serial killer. Sure, is there
1: any Bundy animal evidence?
0: Uh Not that I that I have written down or read about, but it's possible. Has
1: he talked about it? Oh, let's see real quick. It feels like a lot of his early life. The whole thing about it is how much of a mystery it is, and how much it it all seems fake, but also real. And everything he tells you is is just sort of like unreliable. I think that's part of it, part of the mystique of him as a as a crazy.
0: Yeah. And going into the next episode, the final episode, we'll talk about uh, obviously his capture, but because there's literally over 30 confirmed, we can't I'm not going to go through every single fucking murder. There's no point in going through all right. of them. Um I really wanted to cover the first two and then the last and in between it's when he became even more methodical. So while we talk about him waiting in the basement, pulling off a bed thing, very shortly thereafter, uh, right around 1975, is when he develops his basically his kill kit, where he has stashes of tools stashed away for when he wants to commit his murders. Which usually had a mask, gloves, screwdriver, lead pipe, belt, rope, trash bags for the body and blood, and a clean and some some uh, cleaning stuff. And you have multiple of them stashed around the state for when he had need of them. Man. That's
1: fucking crazy. It's like a villain, like a super villain
0: yeah it's like yeah i mean and in you know when we, we never get an answer to why or, or whatnot because he he blamed everything from porn to his upbringing like he was just a broken man all the way through uh and and how he how he ended up killing and gaining their trust uh well we'll talk about in the next one as well because he gets way more brash towards the end of his life uh when he starts impersonating authority figures impersonating police impersonating uh just people to gain women's trust quickly and effectively. Get them in the car, knock them out, take them to the
1: forest, and do whatever. That goes to back to that lazy thing you were talking about. Like over time, he's like, "All right, what's mm-hmm. a faster way to do this?" And yeah. it becomes, and the fact that he's just like, "Oh yeah, I'll just dress up like a cop. That should work." That's there's nuts. There's two stories that, that stick out. So I'm sure we've all
0: heard the story of the, uh, the the cast where he would wear a cast and he'd be at the park. If you don't, the, no, stories, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know that story. Oh, okay. Uh, so there's there's a story um, that from from somebody who was uh, basically what happened is he he feigned that he he had a broken arm he had a cast on. What? And uh, he parked out in the public in daylight, out in a park, uh, and he'd ask for help like I can't lift this into my car, could you help me? He'd ask like a woman, and the woman would come over and help. And as soon as her ba- his back, he'd pull out a lead pipe, crack her in the head, and just push her into his car. Oh my shut god! The truck, and drive off. Uh, and that's how he he caught many of them. There's another story where a bunch of friends went camping one night, and this police officer showed up in the woods dressed as a cop, but he wasn't driving a police car. And he tried to lure one of one of the the girls in there to to come answer questions like, "Why are you guys out here? What are you doing?" And uh, she never went. And when eventually they never went, he eventually just left. And later on, they 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 say that the description matches Ted Bundy, like he showed up, tried to capture. Cap, Kidnap one of them, drive off with them, and then just go fucking kill them. That's what the fuck. Dude, <laughs> fuck. He's a fucking monster. He's an absolute Jesus. horrible, horrible monster. And uh, what he did and how he did it is uh, unfortunately probably going to be spoken about for decades. Here we are talking about it, but it's important, you know, to kind of talk about a lot of what I just I keep thinking. What if he had gotten mental help as a kid? Ten years old, nine years old, eight years old. What if? What if? He had gotten, you know, some sort of therapist or something in a time where therapy and all that stuff was so looked down on and not even really paid much attention to. It's just the psychology. It kept it's it, it's it it fascinates me in every way.
1: Yeah, it's 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 some wild stuff. I I like like I empathize with a lot of people. I I just can't like no wrap my can't. mind around it.
0: Uh, No matter how many books I've read on serial killers and stuff, it's just not a mindset you can put yourself in unless you are there. There's just no, there's no, it's just, it's, it's, it's sad. And he's a monster, but that's where we're going to end up leaving Ted Bundy for this episode. And we're going to wrap up the story in the final episode. Big part three, big part three. I really thought this was an important step. So I really want to talk about his first killings and leave it there. Um, And then we'll move into. I just I don't see the value in talking about six kills back to back and just being
1: like, "Yeah, it's fine." How we did
0: it. So that'll be it. There. Uh, The next episode, actually, before we we talk a little bit more, is uh, our listener stories Halloween special. We're gonna be recording that as soon as this episode closes out.
1: You guys loved it on the last time. We've done it twice
0: now. You guys love it every time. We've got some really funny stuff and some really interesting, creepy stuff to talk about. Uh, So make sure you tune in for that one. And don't forget. October 30th, Somerville, com. Go buy tickets. We got glow-in-the-dark posters. We might have some t-shirts there exclusively. Three hours of us. Probably some alcohol at some point after the show where you can hang out with us and and tell us all about your story. Definitely. Hell yeah. Spooky. And if you enjoy and want us to read stories on our future upcoming listener stories, go to the ChiluminatiPod subreddit. That's kind of where we troll for the most part all of our, uh, for all the stories. Just make sure if you want us to read it, just put a little disclaimer, okay to read on the podcast. Fine to read, yeah. Fine to read anything either in the story itself or in the title so we know which ones we can check out. Um, Do it yeah, in the title. Do it in the title for us. Ideally the title, but yes. I'll end up reading it. So yeah. But ideally in the title would be great. Uh, but as always, boys, thank you for joining us. We are over 900 reviews. We are 90 reviews short of 1,000 reviews what? over on iTunes. Oh, We're still maintaining a pure five-star average. So please, go if you like the podcast... Go drop us a review. Let us know wherever you listen. Podbean, one of the nine people over there would be great. Yeah. iTunes, Spotify. All <laughs> thank you stuff.
1: for listening, everybody who's just started listening. It's crazy. The numbers have been pretty wild lately. So thank you guys. Yeah,
0: Ted Bundy 1 was the most listened to day one episode we've ever put up. So thank you. That's great. Um, and it's so cool to see people on, on uh podcast day, which was on Twitter the other day, recommending us. And we love you. Thank you guys so much for letting us do this because this shit is – a passion and i love it so we'll see you guys in the next episode thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time peace bye